Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. Good morning, church. I really don't like fasting. I really love fasting. I'm caught in this world of going into fasting. It's like, I don't want to do this. This is not something I'm looking forward to. Every time I do it, at the end of it, it's like, I love fasting. So I encourage you, join us. Take a week. Take the 21, whatever. Sometimes people just pray for like three days. People fast and pray in different ways. But join us. It is such a great time as we consecrate ourselves to God. My name's Roger. serve as one of the pastors. Um, You don't often see me. I'm traveling around the country. But it is great to be with you and to share God's word. I want to underscore something that Doran shared this morning so well. And I was chatting to Nick and Caleb just before the service. We suffer from exceptionalism. We suffer from exceptionalism. Now, the Bible says that the people who know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Daniel chapter 12. Now, there's two types of exceptionalism. The one is awesome, and that's people who say, I want to be great for God. I want to be all that God has made me to be. I want to be Jesus on earth. That kind of exceptionalism, awesome. There's another kind of exceptionalism where people say, you know what, this is so hard. Nobody's ever faced hardships like we've faced. How can I do anything? How can I be salt and light? Nick and Kayla and I were chatting before the service. A hundred years ago, we had the Spanish flu in South Africa. population of South Africa was 10 million people. 500,000 people died. Okay, 500,000. It's a 5% mortality. I'm six, seven times more virulent than what we face. But the people who knew their God were strong and did exploits in that season, right? 90 years later, 90 years ago, 10 years later, we had the Wall Street crash and the Great Depression. It was like, that's it, economic like catastrophe. But the people who knew their God were strong and did exploits. 80 years ago, we went into World War II. Tens of millions of people killed. Terrible things happened. But the people who knew their God were strong and did exploits. 70 years ago, we had the atomic era. Now we're going to be nuked and H-bombed and atomic bombed and everybody's building shelters. This is the end of the world. But the people who knew their God were strong and did exploits. We came into the 60s and grand apartheid was was implemented. Crimes against humanity of the highest order in South Africa. But the people who knew their God were strong and did exploits. Into the 70s, we had the Arab-Israeli war. And some of you read the literature. I mean, some of the false prophets were saying, this is it. This is the end of the world. This is the end of the world. But the people who knew their God were strong and did exploits. Moving into the 80s, we saw famines in Ethiopia. And the 90s, we saw genocide in Rwanda and, and Serbia. But the people who knew their God were strong and did, did exploits. Can we be those kind of people who are exceptional in the right way? Let's say, God, use me, and don't become overwhelmed because I know, I know, there's, I know many of you have been victims and, and are victims, but there's a difference between being a victim and having a victim mindset where you let these things overcome you. I'm saying, with my God, I'm going to be strong and do exploits. Can you join with me in, in just that, that fighting spirit that we are, as Doran said, as he encouraged us, we are salt and light. And when you hear that people are sick, you know, you know what a healthy response is? Let me see how I can visit them. 
or pray for them, or maybe not visit them, but drop them a meal and contact them. Let's be salt and light. Let's do exploits. Let's do great things for God. Amen. That's just me warming up, and I hope, um, I hope that encouraged some of you. We are in the final sermon called Redefine, and I have a clicker somewhere. And today in particular, in terms of Redefine, we want to look at redefining success and redefining legacy. We're looking at all of our relationships, from our relationship with God to our relationships with our parents, our in-laws, our children, those in the church. And I want to say this at the beginning. I want to talk to parents for a moment and future parents. You don't want to build a family that your kids reject or that they have to recover from. You don't want to build a family in such a way that your kids need therapy in their 20s or ministry as soon as they get out of you. The truth is, when you raise kids God's way, you give them an incredible boost and an incredible advantage in life. You also don't want to walk in dishonor towards your parents. So whether you're married or single, unmarried, doesn't matter. Towards your, you don't want to walk in dishonor and conflict with your parents and parents-in-law. There's a great promise in us walking in honor towards our parents and to our parents-in-law. And conversely, if you sow dishonor towards them, you shouldn't be astounded, you shouldn't be surprised when maybe people show dishonor towards you, maybe your children show dishonor towards you. Today we're going to look at what success is, and I want to ask you just to think, how do you measure success? And even more importantly, how does God want us to measure and define success? You know, I'm, I'm always inspired when, when I hear about these people who are like third, fourth generation serving God. Have you ever come across these people? You know, there's like pastors and leaders and everybody's wonderful and everything's beautiful. I'm always inspired when I hear these people. But for Nick and I, it wasn't like that. All right, we, we grew up in a family, two sides of our family, where alcoholism was rife. There was a whole lot of adultery on the wrong side of the family and divorce. There was a jadedness and a cynicism and an antiness in our families towards the church. That was what we grew up in. We didn't grow up in this place of blessing and joy. But we determined that we were going to build our family according to God's principles that we were going to have values that were different to what our previous family, our two individual families had. And, and, I, and we honor our fathers and mothers. We honor them. But we determined that we were going to build in a different way. And it's really important that you, you glean and take the best from your, from your parents, but also that you take what the Word of God says and you build your lives and your family according to that. So... We recently, two weeks ago, had a marriage. Um, <laughs> Our youngest son, um, Sean, got married to Laura, and we joked. We said, if you break up ever, we're keeping Laura and not you, because we think she's amazing. <laughs> she's a junior primary teacher, and she's wonderful, and, and Sean's incredible. And um, at the reception, Sean did a speech, and one of the things that he said was... Um, and listen, Nicola, I've made many mistakes, me more than Nicola. 
in, in our parenting, etc. Made lots of mistakes. But he said this, Dad, thank you for the way you treated Mom. Thank you for the way you modeled things. Um, James had said this to us, my other son, the one on the left. He said, marriage looks like so much fun that I want to get married early. <laughs> so both of them got married at 24, and that's wonderful. And, and so although we have not been perfect parents, we have seen the blessings of God upon our lives as we have built according to God's pattern. And, and we see our kids being so much more together and so not broken the way we were in our 20s because of building according to God's word. So I want to encourage you from here, from today, build your life as a single person, build your life as a married person on, on the principles of God's word. And you will see the blessings, you'll, feed, you'll see the favor, you'll see the grace. Was it always easy for us to get over what, what we'd experienced as family? No. It wasn't always easy. Went to pastors, went to the word, went to prayer. But I'm so grateful we didn't just take those values that our parents had given us that were dysfunctional and received them all. Take, took the things from our culture that were dysfunctional, but we, we took them through the, through the filter of the word of God. And built our family in that way. I want to take you to an incredible passage of scripture. This is Jesus at the end of his Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has declared the, the constitution, if you like, of the kingdom. And then he says this. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down. The streams rose, the winds blew, and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, it's like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, and beat against the house. And it fell with a great crash. I want to ask you a question. Are you a sand person? Or you a rock person? You know what, what I like about sand? It's comfortable. Sand conforms to me. Okay? You lie on the beach. You sit on the beach. When you get up, the sand is shaped around your back, right? Okay? Sand adjusts to us. It's comfortable. Rock, however, is steadfast. It's immovable. And it's even hard. And if we choose to build our lives on the rock of the Word of God, we have to adjust to it and not adjust the Word to suit us. Why do we build on sand? Because it's easy. I like sin. Who likes sin? Who likes sinning? I don't like the fruit of it. I don't like the consequence of it. And so I flee sin because I see the death that comes from it. But in, but in my flesh, I like it. And, and, and that's what sand is. Because sand in this image is doing it the easy way. It's doing the comfortable way. But we as disciples of Jesus Christ are meant to be countercultural. Sand is the popular route. Building your life on the rock is unpopular, but it's safe. And it's blessed and it's awesome. Sand looks like you. 
It's conformable. But Jesus is not that plastic rubber doll that you can bend and change and move around to be however you want him to be. And there's no such thing as custom-made Christianity. The rock is not easy and it's not popular. But when difficulties come, you don't lose a toothpick. Okay? You lose nothing because your life is built on the rock. Your life is rock solid as you build according to God's word. And so what is it saying? Do the hard things. Give your life to Jesus. Pray. Seek his face. Love. Forgive. Serve. Stand for God. When you have a rock under you, although it might be hard, and although it conforms you, I mean, you lie on a rock, it changes you, right? It changes your skin. But it is safe, secure, and lasting. So Jesus promises three things in this passage of Scripture. First, he promises trouble. He said, in the world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Thank you, Zach. Rain comes. Storms come. Water rises. It might be economic. It might be relational. It might be financial. It might be health. It might be crime. It might be your future. Wise builders build for a worst-case scenario. They don't build for a best-case scenario. So year after year, you hear the tragedy not far from us here in Alex, people building right along the Yixke because they've got nowhere else to build. And when the Yixke rises, it floods and their houses get washed away. In the world, we're going to face challenges. And not that Jesus wants us upon us, but this is the fabric, this is the nature of the world. And he predicts calamity and failure for all who build just as they see fit. If you ignore God's word, if you disobey his word, you're like foolish men who are building without foundations. If you ever went past a building and they didn't have proper foundations, I mean, you'd be horrified. Sometimes I've played games with God. I think all of us can say at times we've played games with God. And, and this is what we do. We say, I believe God's word, but. I believe God's word, but it's hard. I believe God's word, but I can't help myself. I believe God's word, but you don't know my wife. You don't know my husband. You don't know my children. You don't know my boss. But I was born this way. Instead of but, I think we should say and. I believe God's word and I will do it. I believe God's word and he will give me grace to obey it. I believe God's word and it teaches me to honor him and to glorify him. I believe God's word and it will bless me and it will prosper me and it will cause me to succeed. I believe God's word and I'll take hold of his promises and he will give me grace. There's an enemy that wants to steal, to kill and to destroy your life. And the only question is, will you stand, will you abide, will you live by the word of God? Are you a sand person or are you a rock person? Jesus promises blessing and favor and stability for all who build according to the word of God. John 8 verse 31, one of the most misquoted passages of scripture, 31, 32, it says, To the Jews who believed him, Jesus said, if, to, if you hold to my teaching, then you are truly my disciples. Then you will know the truth, 
and the truth will set you free. It's not just know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's hold to my teachings, right? Live the word of God. Build your life according to the word of God. Hold to his teachings. Abide in his teachings. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The great Dallas Willard, one of the greatest speakers and thinkers in terms of Christian formation, which is how we grow. He said the following, your growth as a believer is not found in conformity, external conformity, just appearing to be good and nice. And it's not in perfect doctrine. It's not in orthodoxy, although we believe in that. And we also believe in being nice and being kind. And, and it's not found in Christian experience. It's not how much of the Holy Spirit you have. And I'm all for more of the Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus. He says it's this. He says it's your ability to hear God and your willingness to obey. He says that's it. Your maturing, your blessing, you moving forward as a believer isn't found in how good you look on the outside, but inside it's dead bones. It's not your experiences, how high you jump when God touches you, although may we jump high. It's not your perfect doctrine. It's do you hear God and do you obey? In Luke 6, the same parable, the same story, it says they dug deep. He dug deep. He who built on the rock dug deep. Will you dig deep into the word of God? Because the word of God is a sword for us. That's with which we do battle. The word of God is a light to us. Our lives, as we live according to the word of God, become like the word of God. They become rock solid. They become unchanging. Please do not be a sand person. And then all of a sudden, and I've seen this too often as pastors, all of a sudden, calamity strikes, something happens, and there goes a life. There goes a marriage. <laughs> there goes a business. There goes stuff. Let's build our lives on the rock. I love Psalm 23. I probably repeat Psalm 23 three or four times a week to myself. I just sing Psalm 23. I love Psalm 23. But you know, being a sheep is not a compliment. Did you know that? You know, sheep can't defend itself. A sheep can't carry burdens. There's no such thing as pack sheep. There's no such thing as attack sheep. <laughs> sheep need to follow the shepherd. Sheep are safe with the shepherd. We need to recognize that the good shepherd is inviting me, he's inviting you, he's inviting all of us to, to stay in the fold, to, to stay in the flock rather, and be led by him, and be guided by him. And then, whether you go through the valley of the shadow of death, doesn't matter what you go through, you will end up with a feast with a table in the presence of God. Are you that sheep that's following, that's staying in the flock? Or are you that sheep that like, wanders off? I, I watched a whole lot of, not a whole lot, but I watched a number of sheep videos. I don't know if you've ever seen these like ridiculous videos of a sheep, you know? Like you pull a sheep, and it's like guy videoing pulling a sheep out of a ditch, and the sheep goes, ah, runs along five meters and then dives back into the ditch. You know? it's, like, it's, like, it's like brainless, you know? It's like. And yet we are described as sheep. Let's not be so smart in our own eyes that we feel like we can do something outside of the Word of God and prosper and succeed. We build our lives on the rock of God's Word. I want to give you five practices or five smooth stones 
that enable you to build your life rock solid vis-a-vis -vis your parents, your in-laws, with regards to your children, your whole family, your life, your future partner, or even as a single person, enable you to build your life. And the first, in, the first one, if you don't have this, you haven't even begun. And that is that you need to surrender your life. If you're married, you surrender your family to God. You surrender your life to the Good Shepherd, who's trustworthy. And I want to take you to the, the greatest in-law story, greatest mother-in-law story in the Bible. And it's the greatest story of surrender, and it's the greatest story of faith, and it's the greatest story of blessing that comes in this regard. So there were three women, all widows. There was Naomi, who had become bitter and desperate because she had lost her husband, and she had lost her two sons. And then there's Orpah, who's a Moabite, and Ruth also. Orpah and Ruth had been married to her two sons, and both had become widows. And Orpah, in the face of the tragedy of her husband dying, goes back to her old ways. Ruth has also suffered. Her husband has died, and she's had no children, which is a great shame in that society. Is extraordinary. Because she responds to her crisis by seeking God. She wants God, and she wants to honor her mother-in-law, and she wants to worship God and serve God, and, and she's willing to go to places that are unknown in her faith in God. Orpah, she faces a crossroads, and she says, I'm going back to Moab. I'm going back to pagan worship and pagan ways. Ruth's response is the modern day, I'm going to Jesus. Ruth's response is the modern day, is, I'm going to find a church, I'm going to find a community, I'm going to get involved, even if it's unknown and even if it's unfamiliar. And that might be you. You might not have been added into a church, you might not be going to church, but something is stirring in your heart. God wants to add you to his people, and above all, he wants to add you to him. So this is what happens when, when Naomi says to her, Naomi, her name is Namara, she's bitter, she says, don't come with me. Ruth replies, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. She surrenders herself to God. And this is the beginning of her great legacy. You know, Ruth goes on to be the great-grandmother of David. She ends up snagging Bethlehem's greatest bachelor. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Okay? I mean, she ends up with all of that. But it comes from this moment where she surrenders to God. You want success in life? You've got to allow success to be defined by God. And, and let me just say this. So often we measure success according to other people and how we measure compared to other people. But success in God has to be viewed from an input method, not an output method. Okay, what I mean by an input method? Doing the right things means you're successful in God's eyes, even if you haven't yet got the full fruit of it. Sometimes there's a turbo lag, right? Sometimes there's a lag before you see the blessing. We must define success according to Acknowledgement of, of God's word. And as we do what the word of God says, 
That is success in itself, even if you haven't yet received the breakthrough, even if you don't yet have a happy life, happy wife, whatever. Success must be defined by God and not by reference to other people according to what we want. Ruth follows God. Ruth surrenders to God. And I know for myself, 18 years old, go to church. There's a word calling people to surrender to him. I hear it. I know God's speaking to me. I know he's calling me. I don't respond. My life was such a mess at that time. We leave church. We're in the car. My mom, who's recently come to the Lord, she says to me, so what did you think of that word? I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> it's like, what are you thinking? What do you know? She says, I really felt like it was for you. I'm like, I know it was for me. God was calling me. I'm so glad I responded to him. I came into a place of peace and joy and life and abundance. And this is what God offers. The first smooth stone of your life, of building your life on the rock, is surrender to him. It's giving your life to him. And if you have surrendered to him, have you surrendered your family to him? If you have said you've surrendered to him, have you given him everything or are you holding back parts of your life? He's saying, this is for me and me alone. The second smooth stone as we build our life right is that we live in honor in all directions. Some cultures are very good at honor upwards towards parents and the elders. Some cultures are very good at focusing on, on the next generation and they kind of despise the older generation. We are called to give value, appropriate value, in every direction. That's what giving honor is. Respect is something else. Respect is earned. Respect is what people do. Earns our respect or takes away respect. But honor we give to people because they're made in the image of God. Or honor we give to people because of their position as our parents or, or maybe the president. Ruth chapter 2. Boaz. Okay, he's the big catch. Okay, he's the wealthy, bachelor, godly man in Bethlehem. He says this to Ruth. He says, All that you've done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me. He's saying, You know what draws me to you? You know what is exceptional about you? Is the way you walk in honor. But it's not just Boaz. God sees it when we walk in honor. When we walk in appropriate honor to our leaders, towards the government, towards the church, towards our parents, and even towards our children. The Bible says in Exodus 20, honor your father and mother so you may live long in the land that the Lord is giving you. Now, honor doesn't mean that you obey your parents and everything. That's not what it's saying. Because you have responsibilities and, and there's mitigators as to what parents can demand of us. In fact, it says in Colossians 3 verse 21, it says, fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. I constantly had this image when my boys were growing up, because now they're launched, right? I mean, they've got their own families. Right? For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are self-standing families, James and, James and Amy, Sean and Laura. But I constantly had this vision as they're growing up of this massive wave. And the massive wave is them growing up, okay, and them changing. And my prayer was that I would stay ahead. Stay ahead in terms of 
how I lead them, how I love them, how I discipline them, how I give them responsibility, what I require of them to do and what I no longer require of them to do. Because that verse, do not exasperate your children. As your sons and daughters grow up, what is the goal? Not that they're dependent on you, but that they launched into their destiny. Too many people, too many parents, they live vicariously, they live through their children. Every one of us who are married are first to focus on our spouse. That is our primary relationship. And we have our children for a, for a season. And our goal is to let them grow and let them grow up and to set them free. And not to keep them for, forever under our governance. And that's why it says, do not exasperate your children. So I'm all for honor upwards, but I'm also all for honor sideways and, and all for honor to our children as they're growing up. Romans 13 it says, give honor where honor is due. Uh, wherever honor is due, let's give honor. I feel like I'm challenging some people's heads and hearts here. So if, if you're struggling with what I'm saying, send me a message and I'll, I'll help you. <laughs> the next smooth stone, and this is particularly important in Johannesburg. We live in a culture that pursues mammon. We live in a culture where it's all about what you have. That's what the Word of God says. Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for he'll either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather bonds. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. Friends, work hard, study hard, hustle, be productive. I mean, hustle, I don't mean like hustle in the bad way, right? <laughs> but don't serve mammon. Don't make the pursuit of wealth and of riches and of your career your idol. Because if you do, your soul will shrivel because you'll be worshipping mammon. The spirit of mammon causes you to be enslaved to work and enslaved to money. And it makes you surrender your family, your health, your marriage, and above all, your relationship with God. This is what Jesus said. Sorry, this is what John said. He said, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father but the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. What's your stance towards finances? Do you see them as a means to an end? Or is your identity tied to your finances? Now you can be wealthy and, and, and your identity is tied to it, or you can be very poor and you can be tied to it. We are called to be worshippers of God, not worshippers of mammon. We're not called to be enslaved to the pursuit of money. But we're called to be men and women who, who live at peace. And we use what we've got for the advancement of his kingdom. And we walk by faith and not by sight. 
and we are blessing and we're generous, are we not continually pursuing wealth or, or living in fear of wealth or pursuing possessions like next year I want this and next year I want that? But there's a godliness with contentment in our soul. Can we make sure that this area of our lives is correct? How we steward our finances before God. Fourth one, we are called to think generationally. We're called to consider the impact that we have on those who come after us. We're called to consider our children, natural and spiritual. We're called to think generationally. Very famous man, Alfred Nobel, incredible inventor, went to school for a year or two. He was self-learned, could speak in four different languages. He was uh, a businessman, a tycoon. He made billions and billions in those days. And uh, he was involved in industry, and he was involved in weapons manufacture. His brother died in 1888, his brother Ludwig. And the newspapers got it wrong, and they thought that he had died. So he had the privilege of reading his obituary, right? <laughs> he had the privilege of seeing what people would consider his legacy, would consider what he was leaving. And this is what the French newspaper wrote. They said, he had become rich because he made weapons. He had become rich by finding ways to kill more people faster than ever before. He had become rich by finding ways to kill more people faster than ever before. He was devastated when he read his obituary. He realized that was the legacy of his life. So you know what he did? He took his wealth he set it aside, and when he passed on, the Nobel Foundation was established, from which we've got the Nobel Peace Prize, the Nobel Economics Prize. He was able to consider his legacy and reorientate his life. How many of you know what your legacy will be? This is what the Bible says. A good man or a good woman leaves an inheritance to his children's children. How are the people that you've interacted with? How are the companies that you've interacted with, that you've worked in? Do you leave them better? What feeling do people have after they've been with you? What advantage do your children or your disciples, your spiritual children or your natural children have? What is the impact? As I said to you at the beginning, do they need therapy? <laughs> are they having to forgive you? Or is there a blessing that comes upon people? Are you leaving a legacy that lasts for eternity? Medieval Christians spoke about this thing that they considered and they called the great dance. The great dance. And in their minds, and as they described it, they spoke about all the planets going around the sun that were dancing together, different speeds of revolution and, and movements. It was a great dance. And then they said it's it's not just the planets, but it's the stars, and the stars are moving around in the great dance. And it's not just the stars, it's the galaxies, and everything is moving around, and giving glory and singing praise to God. And, and it's not just that, it's at the micro level as well, that little creatures and microscopic beings, everything is playing its part in singing and worshiping and giving glory to God. I love that image, because it puts me in my proper place. <laughs> makes me recognize that I've got a role to play. I must be faithful in my role in the great dance. 
I'm here just for a season. And my responsibility is to leave a legacy to those who come after me. To have a multi-generational effect on spiritual sons and daughters and natural sons and daughters. You've heard the expression YOLO. You only live once, right? Now, it's true and it's not true. Okay? It's not true in the sense that we live for eternity. Live for eternity with Christ as we've put our lives with him. But it, it is true in the sense of we've only got one life to live significantly and to make an impact. So my response to YOLO is not to fill my life with seeking pleasure, but it's to leave a generational impact. To leave after me people who are happier and blessed and know Jesus and are following after him. What impact are you having in the great dance? What is your generational impact? Lastly, I am so grateful for the impact that this church has had on my sons, children's church, youth, and they continue, as I said, they serve in God in every nation, Stellenbosch, and every nation, City Bowl. Your responsibility as a parent, as a mom, as a dad, as a husband, as a wife, is to build your family into the local church. Keep your family in a Christ-centered, spirit-empowered church where they can be grounded and build strong relationships. The greatest relationships, if you don't have them, are here for you in the local church. This is our natural habitat. This is where we're meant to prosper. This is where we're meant to succeed as God's sons and daughters. Hebrews 10 says this, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. We need to stir each other up. We need to, we need to consider one another, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Some versions say not forsaking the gathering together of the saints, as is the manner of some. Some people no longer want to gather. Some people are checking out of church and checking out of relationships and checking out of connect group. But exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. The day that they're talking about is the day of Christ. I'm so glad that you dialed in on, and, and watching online and I'm so glad that you're all here. Understand this. This is the place that we are meant to be. This is the way God has made it. And yes, you can watch a thousand different sermons online, but we are meant to be added into community. Many years ago, uh, a friend of mine asked me for lunch. He had left the church and uh, asked me to meet him at a fancy hotel up the road here and uh, met, him for, met him for a meal. And he said he was very unhappy with me because I had let him leave church. So I said to him, bro, when, when you told me you're leaving, you told me that God told you to leave. You, know, you, you played the God card, right? You know, what could I say? You know, who am I to argue with God? He'd come into such a place of destruction. His marriage was over. And he was angry that he had let his wife out and she'd fallen away from God, etc. But God wants us to prosper. <laughs> and we are called to be living stones added together. I pray that you would value the gathering together of the saints. I pray that you would value the relationships 
Are they always easy? No. Is the church perfect? No. The minute that I arrived in the church, it was no longer perfect because I'm not perfect. Maybe the same. The minute you arrived, it was also a bit less perfect. <laughs> but, but God has chosen. This is his instrument. He has chosen the church. It's through the church that we grow. It's through the church that we prosper. This imperfect, messy, but glorious organism. That's what we are. We're the body of Christ. And we do well to recognize the church and to love and be loved and to serve and be served and to give and, and to receive. My, best, my very best friends I found in church or here in church. I find my wife in church. I pray that we would value the community and we would lead our families in this. As I head for the close, I don't know your background. I don't know your values. I don't know what your culture says. But the challenge is that you would be the first generation as an individual or the first generation family that truly honors and serves God. That you will be the Joseph that even though your family doesn't understand, they might even reject, they might even mock you, but you'd be the Joseph that in that time of need, they'll call you in. God raised up Joseph for that time to save his family. And with Nicola and I, at first, our family did not approve of how we're living our lives and serving God. Now, when it comes to any big family thing, I mean, we are the Josephs. Okay? We are the mediators. We are the ones who are called to fix things and to make things happen. And it's because of us simply building our lives in the Word of God. And although some of them are atheists and some of them are agnostic, they see the favor of God. They can't describe it that way. But they see the favor of God. They see the wisdom of God. Will you be a Joseph in your family? Will you make the difference? The dominant family member is always meant to be Jesus. <laughs> By dominant, I mean that we live our lives according to the word. We are rock people and we are not sand people. So recap. Building on the rock is not having a fish on your car it's not having a Bible next to your bed, although it's good to have a Bible next to your bed. It's building your life on obedience to what the Word of God says. Not easy, but wonderful. Not easy, but blessed. Not easy, but the most fulfilling life and the life that God intended for you. Surrender your life and family. If you haven't done that, if you haven't said, Jesus, you be my shepherd, then make today the day that you surrender to him. Live in on in all directions. If you can't walk with people, if you can't love people, the Bible says, how can you say you love God? We're called to walk in on in all directions. Walk with the Lord with your finances. If you can't walk with the Lord in your finances by giving, being generous, tithing, etc., then there's a question as to whether you really are following after him because when it comes to your finances, then it really cuts home. Think about the impact that you have on the generation and commit yourself to a church. If it's not this church, then find another church. Find one that you can prosper in, that you can succeed in, that you can be blessed in. Can we pray together? Father, I pray that you would breathe hope and strength and comfort. Lord, 
your sons and daughters who have been holding on and persevering, strengthen them in this hour. Lord, to keep serving, to keep believing, and to keep loving, that in due season they will reap a great harvest if they do not give up. So strengthen those who are trusting for breakthrough. And Father, I pray for those who need to surrender. Lord, you'd, you'd give them just a gift of humility, gift of repentance, Lord God, to say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to make you my shepherd. I'm going to build my life on the rock. And if that's you here this morning, it's important that you're decisive when it comes to following Jesus. Because the Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, so there's something that needs to be done in community. You need to say it out loud. If, if you know that you need Jesus and you want him, and you want to give your life to him, I'm going to ask that you be decisive and you say, that's me. Before God, by lifting up your hand. You're not doing it for me, you're doing it for you. Above all, you're doing it for God. So if you want to make him your shepherd, surrender your life to him. Build your life on a rock. Lift up your hand as a sign of saying, that's me, Lord. God bless you. Is anybody else? Just see one hand. Church, let's all stand together. Won't you stand, please? I want you to pray this prayer loud with me and it's to support those who have lifted up their hands. Pray this with me. Lord Jesus, I surrender. I repent. I give you my life. I put my faith in you. I put my trust in you. I declare that you are my Lord. You are my shepherd. I receive you as my saviour. I surrender my life to you. Come in. I build on the rock. I follow you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Father, I pray for those who prayed that from the heart, committing themselves to you, those who lifted up their hands, and even those who didn't, Lord, from today, Lord God, they would experience change, deliverance, Lord God, sins forgiven, power, might, joy, peace, Lord, that comes from you. Lord, cause them to be added into this community, added into relationships, added into their best friends. And for all of us, Lord God, may we build our lives on the rock. Lord, may we not be sand people, but may we be rock people. In Jesus' name, amen.